1: Andy Wilson, an award winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now
0: let's buzz.
1: Welcome, one and all, to the Music Buzz Podcast. I'm Andy Wilson, along with host Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Andy, how are you doing, sir? Good. And also the legendary Hugh Syme as well. Hello, Hugh. Well, uh, Dane's legendary too, but hello, Andrew. <laughs> he is. I, don't, I know. I, I just like to say legendary for one of us. Okay. Thank you. So our guest today is 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 basically he's an Indiana guy. So this is kind of a cool opportunity for all of us because we're, we're always sitting in Indiana, usually talking to people that aren't in Indiana or aren't from Indiana. And though Kyle's not technically sitting in Indiana as we talk to him, he's from Indiana. So this is an Indiana Hoosiers conversation today with Kyle Cook, um, great guitar player. He spent the bulk of his musical life as a lead guitarist for Matchbox 20, a multi-Grammy nominated band that sold nearly 16 million albums. 16 million and toured the globe and is one of the most popular American rock bands from the past 20 plus years. Kyle re- has released a lot of his own solo stuff and also headed up a lot of his own bands, including the New Left and Rivers and Rust. Great release a couple of years ago called uh, Wolves. He's also recorded with Mick Jagger and John Waite, uh, amongst others. Um, he's also a study musician with an all-American Midwestern background. He's a guy with a penchant for classic rock, which we'll dig deep into that because I, I can already tell the passion for classic rock before we jumped into the, the podcast here. But of course, he's from Frankfurt, Indiana, which before we jump too far ahead of ourselves and talk music, let's open up and talk a little bit about Frankfurt and let's talk about their mascot, if you don't mind. I think that's a perfect place to start.
2: Yeah, let's start with that. Um well I'm a hot dog. <laughs> That's uh, all we need. That's yeah. We need. <laughs> and uh well
0: if I could be frank with you.
2: No, I'm just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. yeah, yeah ding, ding, I, ding, I don't even know what the uh I have no idea what the history behind that mascot is, to be quite honest. I should. I should have I really should feel I feel like I should I should understand the culture of how a random little town in central Indiana um adopted yeah, you know, the hot dog as a mascot. But yeah. uh yeah, there could be cooler,
1: It's vibier, one of the, one of the best, with, man. With, but, uh, hey. There's that one, and there's also, and I forget what town it's in, there's also one in Indiana called the Jeeps, which I always thought was the Jeep? badass. Nice. Yeah, it's like, nice. how yeah. cool is that, right? Especially yeah. in high school. Yeah. But, anyway. you know,
2: I, I actually have a dachshund. My oldest daughter has her now. Um, she's she's a senior dachshund now. But, uh, yeah, so. Nice. I, I identify with the love of uh, dachshunds.
1: Awesome. Wiener dogs are cool. Yeah. yeah. They're awesome. So the Music Buzz podcast, Kyle, just to give you a little background, the three of us like to talk, but we also represent kind of three different areas in the entertainment business. Hugh on the graphic design and, and, uh, and that side dane on the musician side me on the kind of the concert promoter and live side so we're going to dig into those three areas okay yeah Um, dane's going to kick us off um and uh dig into some of that stuff no that's cool man let's do it
0: yeah kyle man great to talk to you glad you're here with us today um and i read i read up on you a little bit and we've already talked a few times about some other stuff too but um when was it that you realized that when you first realized music was your calling, I read that you started as a violinist.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that was important in the development of, you know, understanding music, playing, playing violin and, you know, obviously led me to uh, then playing guitar, I think, uh, cause that was the next move. But I think if I, if you take steps back, uh, historically, I think it kind of happened in church. Um, you know, I used to, my mom sings, plays piano, not professionally. Uh, and I, you know, I, my family's kind of musical, um, just not professionally. Like everyone really appreciates it. Like my dad sings and can sing harmony and my grandmother did. So, you know, there's a little Presbyterian church, first Presbyterian in, uh, in Frankfurt, Indiana that, you know, um, we would go or I would go as a, as a, as a kid um, and sit in between my grandmother and my mother. And I, rem- you know, they were singing harmony. Um, and I remember uh, that's probably my earliest memories of starting to pick out um, different notes and how they, you know, their relationship to each other. Um, it's like, Oh, she's singing this and she's singing that. And there's kind of like a root note on the organ. They a- actually had this beautiful uh, still have this beautiful pipe organ there which I um always always love to go back and, and uh you know in the holidays and and uh, sort of get that nostalgic feeling again like oh, sure. hearing, hearing the, that tone but I think that's kind of where it started and then the interest in violin sort of followed because I needed some way to um you know uh take what was kind of in my mind and, and put it you know, I had, had no thoughts of playing guitar at that time, oddly enough. I think it was just kind of like, you know, my elementary school was, was starting uh, an uh, uh, orchestra. Um, they just sort of like incorporated the orchestra into uh, my elementary school, which really doesn't seem to happen that much anymore. It seems no. like budgets are getting slashed and instruments, you know, instruments, uh, you know are, are, are tough to come by and you go to schools, and they don't have real pianos anymore, it seems. So I th- I feel like kind of blessed to have that. I'll just i sort of leave it there. And then that and then that uh, as I got as my hands started to get bigger physically, I started to realize that um, I was not I just really wasn't a great violinist anyway. I couldn't figure out the vibrato that didn't make sense to me because you have to kind of do a circular pattern as opposed to vibrating the string up and down. And so that it, it wasn't what it, was, it was probably like late middle school, early high school where I kind of realized that, uh, you know, I, I got introduced to the guitar and that that was a, a much better fit for me as a player. As a
0: so when you grew up in Frankfurt, like to go back to the early days again, Yeah. Uh, tell us about your first band that you played in.
2: Um, first band that Garage I played in? Garage bands? I think we were calling ourselves Downpour or something. Um, yeah, it was just, it was a couple guys from school and uh, we had a singer named Lester Gleason that was really great. Uh, he he was he was great, and I think all we wanted to sound like was Pearl Jam, basically, mm-hmm. and that's all he I, wanted to sound like. I was like. going to
1: say what kind the of music was down for? Okay. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. This was this was in the era of like Jeremy was, you know, that's what early nineties. Yeah, yeah. And even Flow and all that like kind of owned the radio. So I I think all we really wanted to do was just imitate Pearl Jam, and and uh, that's you know. We sounded like a bad Pearl Jam cover band. Did you record some stuff? Yeah, we did in Indianapolis. Um, I remember like having that feeling of like holding a cassette, you know, and we had, like some and somebody knew, uh, you know, somebody's dad owned a printing press or something. And we, you know, like and we had to insert in the cassette, and like I remember that feeling of like. We got a real, we got a record genuine, here. Like accomplishment. You know what I mean? Sure. Like
1: something's so, going to happen now. It's here. It's right tangible. Here. Right. There. Yeah. Right I can here. hand this to somebody, you know, that's coming from, you know, obviously the opportunity to go and do something like that's such a big deal at that age. Fast forward for us, if you will, for a second. And I, I know you recorded on that uh, Mick Jagger uh, solo album. That he yeah, did which was um, "Visions of Paradise." Great yeah, song. Yeah, which is
2: amazing. I'd love to talk about that too. Yeah, yeah. T-
1: tell us a little bit about you know. Here's the Kyle Cook that you know goes and makes a cassette tape you know in, in Indiana to the right. guy that's in the studio with Mick Jagger. Let's let's talk about that for a second. And it wasn't that too long of a time span between
2: that. Really? No, no he, kidding. Yeah, pretty amazingly. That's what I'm briefed. saying. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, like like I said, not even a decade because. You know, we had that first album had, just to give some context, you know, before I was 23, which would have been a decade of actually playing my instrument, you know, um, before the age of 23, we, you know, we had, uh, you know, almost a- approaching a diamond selling debut album. So it was just, <laughs> it was, it was absolute insanity. And I don't even think that, you know, now we can appreciate it because I, I, I try to go man, if that had happened in an era like today where everything you do practically is documented online. right? Um, but, uh, yeah. So we, I, I feel like I'm, I'm thinking we had, we had opened up for the stones and I'm trying to remember if it was before I did that session or after, and I think it might've been before. We did a thing called Rockfest in Dallas. It was at the Dallas motor speedway. It was this huge, crazy event, like three day event. Um, they were on that we and we. I think we played with them twice. Once I want to say on that, and then another, and then they asked us back to open up for them on. Um, I'm trying to remember which tour it was, they had these gigantic gargoyles, and it started with satisfaction, like this bullet in yeah. the Brit, front. Uh, Bridges, Bridges to Babylon. Bridges to Babylon. Yeah, Bridges yeah. Babylon yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so we got to open up for them one time uh, at the, on the Bridges to Babylon tour, and um, so I'd already had that experience, you know, like. I think I was pretty cocky at the time, quite honestly. I think we all were because, you know, um, just the album was just, it just seemed like every single Atlantic put out on that record was a hit. Yeah. I mean, you know, there were five top 10, uh, singles on that record and it seemed like they could have just kept going. I mean, we were, yeah. So we were, none of us prepared, prepared for any of that, but, um, yeah, we, we had an opportunity to open up for them. And I remember they, they brought us, you know, we, we all rolled up to the, the speedway and there were like, you know, corridors of like tour buses, right? You know, we're like on the golf court, uh, golf cars, and we're like, they're pulling us in and it's just like walls of tour bus on each side. We go in, and they got like signs everywhere. Um, you know, Keith's bar that way, rehearsal room this way, mixed room that way. They were like, literally, like it was a village that they'd set up for the Stones. Yeah. Awesome. And it was like, it was like meeting the president, man. And it's important you know, leading up to the studio. I think it's like meeting the president. It already was in our minds, but it was just, you know, amazing. The security guys and they pull us to a point and they're like, hold up. Hold, up everybody, hold on here. And We'd stand there for a second and they'd bring us to another checkpoint. And then, you know, people in like earpieces and, and tuxedo or, you know, in like suits and shit. And we finally get there, line us up. And then they just bring the stones in and line us all up. And they were wonderful, man. I mean, they really, but Mick particularly uh, is just a real, you can tell that he is, you know, uh, he's made a real decision to be the face of the band, you know, and and to be the sort of ambassador of the Stones, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of my first experience. And then we did a European tour uh, where we were opening up for Bon Jovi. um, And we were there for, Uh, it was a UK run and we were there for maybe like two weeks and we, we did, uh, we opened up for them, but we did some, some headlining shows. We were just kind of starting to develop a following in the UK. And that was the reason that we were there opening up for, uh, for Bon Jovi. And so we were doing, we were doing some legendary theater in, in London. I can't, I'm not sure if it was a Hammersmith, maybe I think it might've been the Hammersmith ballroom. Yeah. And we did, um, we closed with Hinder, um, or In our encore, we did a a Hendrix song. I remember if it was Little Wing or Purple Haze or something like that. Uh, no, it was all on the watchtower. And I just kind of went off for several minutes at the end of it. And then Mick came back with like this whole entourage and was really complimentary. And then the next day I get a call from management saying that, you know, Mick would like me to come in and, and play on the song that, that he and Rob had co-written because they had, you know, um i th- you know I think Rob was really riding high on being one of the most important songwriters on the charts at that point, you know, oh, yeah, you, know definitely. you know the Santana thing you know obviously oh, grew from that, and then you know people like Willie Nelson, who is i mean when you got Willie Nelson like reaching out to you. To write a song, I mean, <laughs> yep. you know, like, something's really, going, something's really going right with your craft. <laughs> um, question. So, yeah, so they had written a song, and, and it was like, you know, Mick's going to send you a car. My wife and I, my, 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 my ex-wife now, at the time, were getting dressed to go out and have, like, a really nice dinner. It was, like, a day off, and I just get this call, like, you know, Mick's, um, like, you come in and play in the studio, he'll pay you triple scale, he's going to send a car, but, you know, it's going to be, like, in about two or three hours. And so I remember looking at my wife in this, you know, fancy hotel in London, like, and she's just like, yeah, you, you we're not going to dinner. You uh. gonna, gonna, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and So, And I didn't expect him to be there. I know the story's getting long. It's going to, no, oh, it's
1: great. Yeah. The
2: story, um, so I didn't expect him to be there, right? I'm like, it's Mick. It's larger than life. Hmm. He answers the door of the studio and, like, with tea, you know, <laughs> um, great. greets me. And of course, you know, um, as like a consolation prize to my wife, I'm like, you know, wh- you got to come to the studio and meet Mick, right? I mean, that seems fair. Yeah, of so course, I cleared yeah. to clear that because we just canceled all our plans for the day. And so he greets her and I, and he's like really charming. And I think, I think I remember thinking at the time, Mick might actually steal my wife. That could, happen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that could probably happen. Right? Maybe it's not about the song after
2: all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I start second guessing myself on that. So, um, so yeah, he's like really sweet and charming, or whatever. And and we go in, and the, and the producer on the record. Um. Uh, they had some amps set up, and uh, Pete Townsend's amp was still set up from from the night before, and so I played through Pete Townsend's amp, wow. which just made it that much more amazing.
1: Yeah, because he had a bunch of like it was like an all star kind of record. We had a whole yeah, bunch of people playing on. Record. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. yeah. kind of but big, it's good record though.
2: Still, yeah. yeah, it was a solid record. I don't yeah. think they ever singled the one that that uh, that I played on that the Rob co wrote, but. I think that the single on that record was the Lenny Kravitz, one of the Lenny Kravitz collabs or something.
1: So let's, let's uh, shift gears and go in to talk about the graphic side and the visual aspect of, of music in general and yours specifically. So Hugh yeah. was going to, you know, ask some questions in that regard as far as album artwork and stuff. Absolutely. And dig into that.
3: Well, I have to confess by starting, you know, I am very familiar with your music. I uh, haven't been a follower, so we, that doesn't, expose me too much to your catalogue. So I, I you know I did by cheating my I cribbed today and found I, I noticed a, a sort of a, a trend towards minimalism and simplicity, which I liked. Um, you know the band on the cover, you know, that kind of clarity is is refreshing. Um, yeah but I did I was without regard to even knowing who you were at the time, I did love the painting for Mad Season. I thought that was a great right, I was just about to say, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, a- the peacock on wheels. Well, it, it was also that that peculiar character. Yeah, but the character, um, yeah, the style of that was refreshing. It was new, um, and and I also know when I like something because when I look at a cover and I feel a, a remote pang of jealousy, it's it's <laughs> it, it's a re- it's a reality that it's a good cover. But I do, you know, and I like the fact that your your videos are also very they're very driven by kind of the honesty of performance, even though there's always kind of some sort of dark, melancholic kind of tone to it, even the lighting and the way you guys are, are filmed. And of course you delve yeah, into. Back to good, back to good is, 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 a, is a good reference for that. <laughs> Unwell too has got a nice starts off with a kind of a, you know, an easily accessible um, personnel but then it gets nicely distorted, and it you know stays whimsical. Of course, you know. Yeah, it does.
2: Yeah, it, that's a, that's a good that's a good point. I mean, I, and I think, which may be reflected in the, the music um, too a little bit with the, the use of the banjo. Even though it's kind of a dark song, Unwell. Um, something it's a about very cool the, something lick, something,
0: man. Thank you, man. And that I mean that that's double stop thing that you're playing on. That's not that can't that that was a real banjo one. No.
2: That wasn't? It's a six, like, like a, like a
3: six string, like band talk. guitar or whatever. Yeah. Uh? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, how drawn to the process? I mean, this is, you know, I, I ask these questions cause I'm always interested in knowing some band members are that they, they're musicians and they lean on anybody from the record company's art department. I mean, ZZ top, they, for example, they would lean on Kim champagne at, at Warner's to do the covers, you know, and, Some bands are very involved. Some members, some members more than others. Neil and I and Rush would be very much the allies for that process. The other guys were busy making music. How about you? Were you hands on? I'd love to speak to that.
2: Um, In the later years. um, So Paul Doucette, who uh, was the original drummer and Mm -hmm. now is a rhythm guitar player. So we've, we've, Lost one member um, since the first and uh, the first three records, and uh, he was always, and I still think, is um, kind of the driving creative force behind a lot of those things. Um, now, not not to the extent of like coming up with the designs and 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 actually directing the videos or anything, but but really being someone who stayed up late. I mean, e- even like, even, you know, he was always the last one to leave. Like when we were doing like production rehearsals in arenas, like he was always the guy that was, you know, we were worried was going to be so tired for the opening night of a tour because he was literally with the lighting designers, you know, till, till, Four or five in the morning, you know, the night before, like trying to make sure that every little move for every song was. So, yeah, Paul, really, I got to give a lot of credit to him. Matter of fact, he was the guy that found that image of the peacock that you mentioned. Yeah. Suggested that. He may have also been behind the choice or or kind of helped push us towards that choice of the the kind of heavyset guy with the cap on the, the first. Yeah, fantastic. Person. What's that? Yourself or someone. Yeah, yourself or someone like you. Yeah, yeah that image. That image has really just, you know, become
3: synonymous with our band. It's, well, you it's know, kinda- it, it, it's amazing what simple, and, and that reminds me of a Joel Peter Whitkin cover, which is, you know, just quirky and and bravely bravely kind of n- not attractive, you know. <laughs> um, right. Well, you know, we we so
2: there's, 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 there's a real, um, there's a method to the madness. I mean, I think behind at least that, that first album. So we, you know, the, the title yourself or someone like you. And I think if you look at the, the trajectory of the band, we have always been, I, I don't think anybody would disagree with the exception of, you know, Rob kind of having that sort of next level fame with the Santana thing with the smooth yeah. thing we have always kind of been a little bit of a faceless band in the sense that you know, our music a lot more than you do our faces. Uh, and I think
1: and, and that, you, know, and that you bring up an interesting point. And I think it's funny. I was, I just got back from Europe, my wife and I did, and I was, you know, on this long flight from Paris to Detroit and I was looking for something to watch. And there was something in the music documentaries thing. I'm like, oh, what is this? And it was weird that it was on the Velta flight, but it was, a backgrounder that included Boston, REO and sticks. And it was kind of talking about how at the time music shifted from kind of these rock stars, these people that you knew into really like logos and songs. So it talked about more than a feeling. It was talking about babe. It was talking about, you know, um, roll with the changes, but I was like, and I, I know who's in these bands. Cause I love those bands, love your band, but you know, it really to me matchbox 20 is like that next generation of those bands you know that's kind of like an like an reo a sticks a boston and that's bad yeah, I agree. you know and i agree yeah like great company but it was interesting that there was actually you know something on the flight basically talking about what you're saying
2: or like journey you know what i mean absolutely like, Yeah, like, right. I, i've um which you know i guess depending on who you ask is a good or bad thing um I've definitely heard, I've definitely heard people draw comparisons to our, our catalog to sort of like, uh, you know, as like a modern journey. Are uh, you talking, are it's like
3: music? Because going back to yeah. that, I would say graphically, you guys were much more brave in your selfie facing kind of, um, like I said, yourself and someone else in that painting um, for, for Mad Season. Those are, beautifully quirky and and yeah. they, did, they didn't subscribe to that kind of sticks journey kind of corporate right logo based work that you would see a lot of with the van halens and so on bands that needed to have logos you know oh, i got you. yeah
2: well we i mean i think you know if you've ever seen us live or you know you when you get to know the band i mean we there was this there was just this kind of regular guy vibe with our band. That's what I, yeah. You know, was trying to be, you know, and, and even the sound of, you know, like, we're not a proggy band, like, like you know, like a Rush, which is like very intellectual, you know, uh, very really powerful. pushing the, you know, really pushing the boundaries of what music can be. Right. and You know, in songs, I mean, you know, a lot of our songs are very economical, you know, in, in the way they're constructed. Um, with emphasis on hooks and memorable, you know, little memorable melodic pieces that you can either take away, like like you mentioned, like uh, whether it's the banjo look, which right. to reference that again, that was something that we spent working with Matt Cerletic, who's a brilliant producer um, in his own right and a brilliant, you know, just musician in his own right. We would work very, very hard at in thinking about like, hey, Rob's brought this song to the table that we think is great. But now we have to, you know, now the the next, now the craft is the arrangement, um, you know, and and, and that's, you know, or the master, you know, the thing that, um, you know, I always likened it to like, you know, like, um, you know, you have to make a movie, right? But first you have a script, you have a good script, but the script, um, It needs set dressing. People don't read the script. People watch the movie and then that's what they identify with and that's what they take with them for the rest of their life. So we always look at the making of the masters in that moment, you know, especially when we started getting really great budgets from Atlantic. I mean, we would spend some time on that Mad Season record. I mean, I think we took seven months to seven, eight months making that record, spent millions of dollars, which doesn't happen anymore. Um, We'd spend weeks on like the intro to a song, you Mm -hmm. know? I mean, we, wow. you know, before we even get to the verse, it was just like, we, it has to be the right sound. It has to be the right thing. Like you were saying, right. When that comes on the first so like, it grabs seconds, it, yeah, it pulls you in. And you know exactly what the, the song is just like an opening scene of a movie or something. like, Oh my God, I love right. this scene. And then you sit down on the couch and you watch the whole thing. So a lot of effort went into that. And yeah, it, it sure paid off for you
0: guys. Millions of millions of, uh, Records sold later. Yeah. I mean, I th- mm-hmm.
2: yeah There's I think a reason so. for that. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to believe that that that, that time that was invested, you know, pay, paid off. But, but you know, to, to reference the graphic side of things, when we chose that image, there definitely was an intention behind that because yourself or someone like you was intended to be um, almost, there was a little bit of that because we were coming to that era of the alternative, almost like anti-rock star.
3: Era. like war with the, the boy on the cover for you too that struck me as very iconic he was cuter than the man on your cover but but I, right. I that's what I, admi- I admire mostly about uh, the, the yourself covers because it is just it is just purely quirky and it's not it's not unsettling but it's not attractive and it dares to be it dares yep. to be its own entity and and, and yet this the music spoke for itself you make a good point about the economy of your songs and and the the structuring of your songs um therein lies the difference between a band like yours and rush because rush was about arrangement i think sometimes more than the song right i agree with that yeah 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 Yeah. and and that was a unique situation because you had
2: neil Peart actually writing all the lyrics which is you know sort of pretty heavy Amount of, of how, you know, most, most bands kind of work. But I think, you know, I think that image struck a chord because, you know, I think society, you know, like the social, like, like the cultural climate at the time was a little sort of like, uh, Anti, you know, anti rock star, like, you know, the, the totally. everyday person glamorizing the idea that the everyday person can be as Im- important as, you know, especially coming out of the 80s. Right. Which was all about like everything was everything was oversexed and glamorized. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and kind of surface maybe a little bit, you know, what? like. I'm and, glad I was there, but yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what well, you remember of it, right?
3: <laughs> no, that's what, actually no. speaking to your your earlier comment about tenacity and craft and so on, I was living in l a at a time when it could have done irreparable damage to me to be there. But I had the good fortune of being a workaholic and having a good work ethic. so i i I really missed out on I did go to the Roxy a couple of times and. I, I did witness salad bowls of cocaine and things like that, but it was, you know, <laughs> you know it wasn't something that I, I subscribe. <laughs>
1: salad bowls of cocaine. <laughs> that's, that that's sounds a, like a perfect, a lot, perfect man. song title. <laughs> don't how not you guys get together after this and write Surely a song nobody put any dressing salad on it, bowls Come of on. cocaine?
0: Hold <laughs> the dressing. I'll um, be quiet
3: now. <laughs> I, I kid you not. I kid you not. <laughs> behind the velvet ropes um, sat a very dynamic, rock star whose name will will go unmentioned but he was flanked by some pretty outrageously beautiful women and right in front of him was his bowl so you knew that the the police commissioner and that club was pretty much in in concert with each other he was dipping in the bowl too i reckon probably yeah (laughs) so i have to ask the i have to ask the question that i have whether it's a band or a client and so on i'm always interested in knowing musicians favorite covers whether they they are their own Or just, you know, in in history, what covers have spoken to you um, as being brilliant? You know, like for me, the White Album was a brilliantly cheeky and only the Beatles could get away with such a faceless cover because we are after all the Beatles. But um, I'd love to hear what you consider to be your favorite covers from history. I always loved Israeli Gears. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Um, mm Yeah. And and uh, is it Rubber Soul or is it Meet the Beatles? Is it w- what was the f- the four floating faces?
3: The black and white with the the lit light from the side was yeah from the side that, yeah that was Meet the Beatles mm-hmm. yeah Meet the Beatles um that always w- w- was always
2: a striking cover to me always always yeah um and much emulated thereafter the whole yeah, half, yeah totally the half lit black face and white that. Exactly. Yeah. Just, well, just, the, just yeah, the simplicity of using you know uh, shadows and and you know in beautiful ways. Yeah. Um, but but at the same time, highlighting you know highlighting the, the members of the band. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that and uh, and then I don't remember which Boston album it was, but to sort of like the guitar of spacecraft. Yeah. The spacecraft thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty, pretty iconic and famous. Yeah. I mean, you almost can't talk about record covers and not talk about Sgt. Peppers. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot going
2: on, but be, I mean, I remember, I remember staring at that album as a kid. Cause my, my stepfather had it on vinyl and, you know, I, I remember just, you know, what would seem like hours staring at it and still finding new visuals, you know? So, you know, and then just all the mystique that, was wrapped around you know like somebody's holding something and there's another head back there and it's there because of this and you know just all the conclusions that were drawn from it was just kind of fascinating
3: speaking of salad bowls yeah yeah, yeah. right yeah <laughs> no yeah you. it, it is definitely a, a phenomenal cover and and yet you know what's beautiful about that cover is it's technically so primitive and yet it's still it still was conceptually and and i think concept sometimes you know, it overrides the, the execution. If I can ask you a question, I don't want to derail this, but
2: how do you, like, you know, talking about videos and, you know, just the importance of, you know, we've almost kind of, you know, we're living in this time, right? We're like, and it's relevant, it's relevant to the Matchbox conversation because, you know, we were an MT you know, we were one, I think one of the things that really contributed to our success at the time too, was that you know, it was kind of the height of MTV and VH1 and, you know. Absolutely. You had, yeah. You had that extra vehicle. You know, w- we kind of had the benefit of being successful in a time where, you know, television and the visual was really important. And then the internet was also starting to become a factor. Yeah. So we kind of, we you know, midway through our career started to benefit from the, you know, the digital side of things. Um, but now... You know, we look at it, we look at something like MTV and it's all reality television. They've changed their format. Yeah. You know, CMT was hanging on for a minute and they still play videos, but you know, even they are going, you know, to licensing old movies and you know what I mean? Right. I have two daughters. I know you guys all have kids too. It's like, you know, they don't, television is how, is not how they, they digest things. So how do you, how do you feel about the importance of video, the role of videos?
3: First, no. first of all, I was peripherally involved. I did art direction on Rush videos and so on, but I was never a video director. I, I often wanted to be. I often thought I could be. Very. I, I saw how much work there was involved in doing it. I also. Yeah. I also saw some of the the varying budgets involved and how much was expected. You know, um, I spend so much money on videos. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I think one of the reasons you don't see videos as much now is is. People are too hip to being, because the Brits were very, very clear on calling videos commercials. They would call them commercials instead of videos. And I think that's a telling term because to try and sell any young person today music, they need to find it on their own. So if you package something up and make it too slick, that doesn't mean that if you do a YouTube piece and there's a performance, there's a section of performance in the YouTube piece, it wouldn't speak to someone, but it needs to come off as... You know, it's like watching Harry Styles um, singing on the uh, the Howard Stern show. If you've never yeah, seen I saw that performance. Yeah, it's yeah. a great performance. And it, what's nice, what's charming about it, but telling is you see how talented he and his band is, but it's right off the floor. And that stuff, I think, speaks more to people now than than a, a David Mallet video for, you know, and there was a couple of... Russell Mulcahy and David Mellett, they did all of the Aerosmith, White Snake, They did right.
2: Yeah, which man? That, that, there was a run there with Aerosmith where their videos were just
1: oh yeah epic mini movies,
2: man. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, like,
1: well like, and that that uh, was during the Get a Grip era, which uh, Hugh did the uh, cover for the Get a Grip album. Oh man, and, that's a great cover too. Is that that's with the car, right? And that, that no, that's mommy, was that <laughs> yeah. cow in Indiana? Is that an Indiana cow?
3: That's a Henry County
1: cow. Let's be. Okay. Sorry.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. God, you did so much great stuff. You man, I I'm going to, I'm going straight to I'm, you, you, You're next up on Google. When we finish this up, I'm going to look at all your stuff.
3: Oh, thanks. No, I, I hope you enjoy it. And yeah, it'd be, it'd be an honor to work with you on something. It'd be great. Oh yeah. Know. Yeah.
2: I mean, you know, as it, you know, as it relates to the importance of that, I still, I still, it, it, you know, that, like, like I was saying, like, you know, now it's sort of like, it's almost like we're back to the, the, the importance is on the single, uh, you know, almost like it was in the fifties or something, where, you know, totally. the, the, the art form around, which is kind of sad to me because I love making albums, but it just seems like, you know, um, the, playlisting and and people. Falling in love with the song is is
3: where it has to begin. Dane and Andy and I have, and I have talked about this. Rubbers, I mean uh, Abbey Road or the Wall. Those are those are those are intended to be listened to in their entirety. But today, someone would go in and pick. Here comes the sun, um, and a couple of other songs. you come together, but the the rest of the album would be left fallow because. It wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't get the long bar. It didn't get the long Mm -hmm. bar of public approval. Um,
0: So people can't hold their attention span is so much shorter now than it was. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Maybe we were just, you know, in our, when we were young in the sixties and seventies, you know, and you're looking at that album cover and. Right, maybe rolling something on the thing that's if it was a double album yeah. cover or whatever. Or uh, getting
1: out your um, salad bowl of cocaine. <laughs> oh, <how bad. laughs>
0: um, but you know, it's it, it, it's it's very uh, it's very telling. I think that that uh, that attention spans just don't, don't
3: well attention don't allow for that attention spans and the fact that millennials often don't even know what a C, a physical CD is. They right. they they've been brought up through. Napster, the the now defunct LimeWire, I think it was called, where you could kind of peer to peer, peer steal and borrow and and loan music to people, um, even iTunes. I, 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 I've coined this phrase innumerable times, but we're all feeding off the carcass of what used to be that industry we're talking about because even as a designer, if it wasn't for my legacy clients like Rush... And and dream theater who still love the feel of paper and the smell of ink. You know, we would all be you kind know, of designing for YouTube and designing for that two inch square in the bottom corner of, of iTunes. You know, it's it's a a very different realm we work in now. But
2: that doesn't mean the image isn't important. I guess is is kind of the point I was getting to. It's Absolutely, like, I find myself you know really thinking about. So if it's, if it's an important show, like I got a dream coming up and I'm going to try to help raise some money for a, a cool uh, venue. Some friends of mine own a Masonic temple, actually up in outside of Grand Rapids, they got this cool little venue. And when I tour solo, I play it all the time. So I'm going to go up and do that. But, you know, thinking about like the, you know, the image that I put behind the post now I find myself thinking a lot more about that, you know, and, yeah, I, this and guy, and this guy named Keith Brogdon that is great that, um. He did, um, he did a couple cool um, Sturgill Simpson records. Mm. Um, actually, there's there's a cover. It's a, look at a couple of the Sturgill Simpson uh, uh, covers. I cannot remember the name of it. He's kind of like this anti-country he's country guy. He's great. He's a cool artist. Yeah, man. he's a super cool artist, but like, you know, like Music Row just doesn't give him any love because, you know, it's like too cool for like country radio or whatever. It's like real but country. He, yeah. 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 Um, well, like he does a cover, like smells like teen spirit with like a horn section. You know what I mean? Like he, mm-hmm. he's, it's like, it's kind There's of some R and B stuff too. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: He's, he's very eclectic. Some of it's kind of R and B. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. And so I've been using his uh, graphic guy for a long time, but like I'll, I'll, you know, I'll spend a couple hundred bucks on a post if I think it's important enough. You right. know what I mean? Like I'll get with him. I'll be like, make sure he's got a couple, a couple photographs that I think were great. I'll tell him what I think. You know, we're, you know, we're going for whether there's a theme and just kind of let it run wild. But like, I never thought that much about it before, you know, like when all these apps came out and you could do like stuff yourself, just find cool fonts, you know, I think a lot of us were doing that. Mm-hmm. And now we're, I, I feel like maybe there's a resurgence in the appreciation of somebody like yourself, you who really, you know, is artistic and understands, um, the value of choosing different fonts or creating things that have their own, you know, uh, individual feel, as opposed to just stuff that people can. Because now everybody can just grab stuff off the internet and like use generic things. And you there's know.
3: also there's also the opportunity. I mean, I appreciate you making that acknowledgement, and and I'd like to think there's some merit to what you're saying, but. Even my daughters, you know, one of my daughters has got her own business, and I offered to do her business card, and I, you know, I did a really good job of it, I thought. But she turned around and, using her own online facility, so she turned you down. She did. <laughs> I, I was just <laughs> you I was get just, you to the curb. I was dismissed.
1: <laughs> did you show her like all the Rush albums, and show her like you know all these like? okay
3: leave leave your name with a lady at the front we'll get in touch you know <laughs> <laughs> there
1: you go <laughs> that's that's it's important to be humble that's, that's why we kids, had kids
0: man. Right? that's kids yep.
2: for you that's right i mean the reality is we also have to be we also have to be humble enough to understand it's the same thing with with arrangements it's the same thing with writing songs like mm-hmm. you know sometimes you don't need the jazz chord no. You know what I mean? Sometimes no. just the G to C is all you need. Yeah. Uh, the cowboy chords work. They've always worked, you know? Like, and sometimes yeah. you got to, just because you know that there's, you know, this whole palette of colors that
3: you can use doesn't mean you should you no. need it as right. well. You know, I've done some pretty elaborate and indulgent and, and complex covers for Rush. And I've also done a cover, I, I refer to them because they're probably one of the most freeing, um, recording artists that that allowed me the latitude to and they they coined a beautiful phrase early in their career called deviate from you know to deviate from the norm it kind of became their credo they would never they would try not to repeat themselves sometimes they would get stuck into stylistic um, redundancies but we all do I think but you know one cover would be complex and then counterparts was a nut and a bolt and it took a little selling. I, I was convinced that that minimalism would work, but um, daring to be minimal and to, do, to be bravely sort of, um, stripped down like that, I think has its place. So I, I, I agree. yeah. And I also think that when people do their own thing, there's merit to that. And then when you mentioned, you know, maybe possibly talking to me, the, the fun that I have is harvesting imagery from the music and harvesting, some kind of theme that that plays because we're not dealing with an album with a front and back cover. We're dealing with CD booklets, which are commonly 16 to 40 pages long. So what do you fill the booklet with except no. right ways to editorialize the music or to,
1: to well, play. and what, and what happens out of that going back to part of the earlier conversation, you know, with the, the image from the first matchbox record that sticks in my, when I hear matchbox 20 said that image of that guy in the hat yep. comes to my mind. Well, sure. Hugh's no different in regards to the rush with the Starman. Nope. Really, correct me if I'm wrong, Hugh, but that wasn't intentionally created to be a logo, correct? Wasn't that just kind of became its own thing?
3: That was just thematically tied to the to to every man the freedom of expression versus the red star of the evil federation. It was I literally took. Man against federation, and and made that into a logo. It was very literal, um, but little did I know it was going to be adopted. You know,
1: unwed- right? That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. All, all of a sudden, it, it takes a life of its own, kind of thing. How awesome that it was! Yeah, you know? yeah.
2: yeah. Cool. You know, what's interesting, and I know we spent a lot of time on that that cover, but it it. it What's interesting about that shoot, the fact that we chose, they chose that close up of, of just him against the window, sort of looking sad, like he's trapped, you know, he's kind of like trapped or he's trying to, he's outside trying to come in. It's kind of like the vibe you get from that. Right. Um, which does speak to the social kind of norms that we live in, you know, right. Um, did you cast him or did, did you find him? Yeah, so we did. Yeah. So there were, there were, he, he was a model. that was hired by some agency. You know, they were look we were looking for, so what we were looking for and there was a whole shoot. This is what's interesting about it. There was a whole shoot. Wow. If you, if you look in the inside of the cover, you see a couple of the images that sort of will explain what I'm, what I'm saying, but the whole idea was, so one of the singles is called real world, which you mentioned, right. That was one of the ones I didn't go right uh, as well. Um, Real world, you know. Rob talks about. I wonder what it's like to be a superhero in this in that mm-hmm. song. So one of the themes was ta- was kind of taken from that su- that song. Um, this this idea that just the average person can be a superhero, right? Just which is yourself or someone like you, right? So it fit the whole theme. So you so we had we wanted him this kind of overweight guy in a in a cape. In a Superman, he was in a Superman outfit, Uh cape, and um, they just put this aviator hat on him. So he was here's this like, you know, pudgy guy standing there with the superhero thing, looking all sad. And they had this beautiful model, like this just gorgeous Italian girl, you know, slender and and and, and standing there. And he's sort he's kind of like looking at her, you know, um, longingly, and like there's all these images like that, and then it just you know, that was kind of what the cover was going to be, right? It's like she was kind of like this unattainable beauty that mm-hmm. this, you know, this this overweight superhero guy was never going to be able to sort of like, you know, I don't know if they were trying to convey that he was going to save her or, you know, or, or have a relationship with her, whatever the deal was, but there's all these shots, and but the one they end up using is just him, and all you see is the aviator cap. So you don't get any of that imagery. No. So we really, we really sort of did away with all of these... Themes and and it, you know and I think when everybody saw that image, they just they felt exactly like what you just surmised right there, which is just that's it. That's it. We don't have to second guess it anymore.
3: Had you put the extra element in there, well, it may have spoken to the unattainable concept that you just mentioned. It would have lost its simplicity, and it may have right. on it, certain things, whether it's music or or imagery. There's a point at which that phrase comes into play. Trying too hard you know or and i i'm guilty of that sometimes i i i love um improbable reality and i like being you know and i like to play with play with you know things that feel real but shouldn't be um and that's fun but there's there's also a place for just that one icon on the cover which is that man and i think it speaks you know as far as matchbox it, it, to you know the way we run the way
2: we've worked creatively musically too i think it speaks to that because um we have been pretty good at kind of policing ourselves like we're um yeah and we're a band that's um there's can be a lot of tension when we're in the studio um there can be like everyone gets involved it, it, It feels like almost every little part, people have opinions about things. Like, I remember having to re-cut an acoustic part for a song um, where I I was basically playing acoustic the entire time. I was like the whole downbeat of the song, and there wasn't much other instrumentation. And I ended up having to re-record it two or three times because, you know, Rob just felt like the feel wasn't the right feel for him to sing, sing to, or whatever. Like it was too swung or it wasn't swung enough or those kind of things. And it's interesting how those kind of tensions, the way that we kind of fight to make sure that, um, you know, all these voices are kind of fighting to, to, to be heard so that it's, you know, ultimately that's what makes it a band, which is maybe something that Dane, you know, (laughs) <laughs> working for for john is probably it's a whole and, and and when i work with john Wait totally different thing right like john Waite makes the last he's going to make that he decision. makes the damn call you know yeah. what i'm saying and i'm sure that's yeah. how it is with with Melody, yeah, John well, well definitely
0: i mean it's 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 his song so he's going to make that call and he kind of likes to direct us but when we get something going that it's good when the band gets into a thing he lets us go right Good. Good. yeah and he may say something like when we're done like well it wasn't really what i had in mind but i think we can make a record with that or right, something right, like right. that you know that's when what dialogue. he really meant was man that was great and then later on he'll actually say that was great so
2: yeah, cause that's the dialogue but, right like like there's a yeah, yeah, yeah. conversation going and maybe it wasn't where you thought the conversation was was going to go, but that doesn't mean it's not great. And you know, right? Yeah.
0: And he that's knows true. that everybody and, and you guys were pro- doing the same thing. A band does that, and that's the neat thing about having a band all playing at the same time. It certainly is. Yeah. Or at least at least the rhythm section. You know, where you get that vibe, and you're you know you're chomping at the bit to make this thing happen.
1: Yeah. And that's a
0: feeling that is getting
1: lost these days when people make records. It's all know? about trust, right? I mean, at the end of the day, the greatest bands. The greatest musicians, I mean, they, there's a trust element, whether that's, you know, the band in studio, whether it's the live experience, whether that's the guy doing the record cover, whether that's, you know, whoever it is.
3: To Kyle's point, though, um, a band has a sort of a different dynamic than, say, working with John or John Waite or John. Oh, sure. Or if you're a band like the Beatles and so on, I have 32 bootleg tapes of the boys at Epic Studios and Olympic Studios, and they definitely... Uh, interacted and they were very respectful, but there was a lots of arguments and lots mm. back and forth and occasionally some pettiness, you know, just what about me kind of, um, yeah, and, sure. and a band needs and to, to your point, a band needs to know how to get out of their own way and be that organism, which obviously the successful bands are like yours.
1: So tell us about, um, some of the moments over your career where you've been on stage and like maybe a special guest came out or you just found yourself, you know, kind of in a, kind of in a geek out moment a little bit, you know, whether it was a specific venue or whatever it might be. Well, okay. So,
2: and I think it was in that two week period of time, uh, that I was talking about, um, in, uh, in, when we were in England, when I, when I did the, the, um, Jagger session, uh, we did, um, Santana, you know, smooth was kind of eating, eating the planet at that time too. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Rob, again, Rob was, you know, at the top of the, of, of the songwriting food chain. And, you know, he just was just like, Hey, you know, like Santana's planet, uh, whatever arena it was there in, in England and, uh, in London. And so we went and, and, uh, I got up on stage and kind of, you know, like... Because Santana's the kind of... Like, he's that guy. He's he's that jammy guy, you know? Just sure. like, oh, man, you're here. You got your guitar, right? You know, like, and if you don't, we'll give you a guitar. Um, so, you know, he he pulls me up to, to to play, and Jimmy Page was backstage. And I think he was trying to pull Jimmy. I think Jimmy ended up bowing out, but mm-hmm. he was really trying to get Jimmy up. But I, I just... That was, that was a revelatory moment because I think, I'm sure if you ask my ex-wife, she would say I was a blubbering idiot. I remember it like I was really cool. Maybe I'd had too many <laughs> cocktails, quite right. possibly. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, in my mind, I was like, very respectful. I'm sure if you ask her. Um, Were you nervous? Oh, yeah. I mean, because, you know, yeah, I mean, to, to meet. I was and still to this day, I mean, you know, those those Led Zeppelin records are just, uh, you know, um, they're like architectural masterpieces that you have to kind of continually go back to in my Mm, mind. Right. Uh,
0: No question. As a
2: member of a band and as someone who loves making records and just someone who plays guitar. So, yeah, I think that probably stands out.
1: So we're going to we're going to end this podcast with uh, with the tune that you sent me, Eat No Secret. Is the name of the Yo, tune, baby? Yeah. Tell, tell us about that that tune before we roll into um, it. It's really just kind of
2: so the album Wolves, the the, the first solo record, is really kind of a dark um, divorce album. You know, uh, <laughs> I was going to
0: say that was a very. That was a very brave record. I was checking that out today. Thanks, man. It's kind of like, kind of like a modern Blood on the Tracks or something.
2: Oh, I appreciate that, brother. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's it,
0: really cool. And man, your vocals and stuff on the, the song Ghost Towns. Yeah. The the video that you yeah. got out. I was, I think you've got a really great voice. That also, it, there's something about your voice that you, you it feels very real. Thank you. I mean, you can that the the lyrics feel like you meant it, and thank you. I got that. Just from first listen, I was, I was kind of amazed in the economy of your guitar playing on that. Oh, thank you. I mean, just the hooks and like it was like I'm going, okay, he's going to let rip something here, and you never did, man. And I applaud you for that. Thank you, man. Yeah, very
2: nice. Great, great arranging and songwriting. I try to, I try to be careful not to enter into the shred zone too often. You know what I mean. let me let me just point out real quick. So so Wolves was, you know, I went through a very contentious kind of ugly, dark divorce. And in a drug on for a minute, it ended very poorly. And Wolves was an album that was more of a sort of a therapeutic uh, statement, really. And it was kind of a risky artistic thing to put out there because it wasn't like, hey, everybody get up. Let's kind of record. It was like, um, you know, look at look at my sad state of affairs and let me just dive into my own kind of
3: horror. It was your face value album, I guess. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, you know, and so I just decided, yeah, I'm going to put this out. And so this next record is a lot more, um, you know, upbeat and uh, is, you know, a lot more uh, less personal, but that particular title ain't no secret is, is um, there's a lot more of acceptance of the, 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 the reasons that um, rather than being angry about what, you know, what the, uh, what led to the divorce, you know, there's a lot more of acceptance on the second record in your own time. And Ain't No Secret is just, uh, it's a little bit of a wink wink that, you know, it, it's, it's no secret that you're not my drug anymore. It's no secret that you're not my love anymore. That we've sort of accepted the reasons that um, things ended the way they did, and you know we have two we have two daughters together, so there's that feeling that even when things are ugly, you have to figure out a way to maintain some kind of relationship, or at least accept why things are the way they are for your kids. Been there, done that. I think that's what that all saying.
0: Yeah. And they're done that too. Sure.
1: Yeah. It's a great song. Well, thank you, Kyle, for joining us today. We certainly appreciate it. Lovely. Finally meeting you, Dane. Lovely meeting you, Hugh. You too. Great to meet you, Kyle. You guys be safe. Take care of yourselves. right? Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for joining us on the music buzz podcast. Thanks for chatting with us. Take Kyle. care. Thank you. See you, Kyle. Thank you. We're going to roll into ain't no secret by Kyle cook. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time on the music buzz podcast.